Good morning, Hope Midtown. It's good to be together, even virtually, but hopefully next week we'll be back live and in person. So see us there then. But today, it's New Year, so we have a new sermon series. If you've been around Hope Midtown for any length of time, you've probably heard us talk about our discipleship pathway, which is just a fancy way of saying how we are intentionally becoming more like Jesus, learning about Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. That is discipleship. And we have three kind of tracks or courses that we offer in that vein. Our discipleship pathway is first alpha, where we explore questions of faith and doubts and Christianity and what it all means. And so that's kind of the starting point, alpha. And then we have our emotionally healthy spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships courses, and those are really for becoming mature adults. Becoming like Jesus become, means becoming more fully human and more mature in all areas of our person. Emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally, all of the above. And then we have our missional discipleship course, and that is how we live on mission with Jesus. How we are not only deeply formed by Jesus, but how we are joining him in his work, in the city, in the world. And so that's our missional discipleship, formation for mission. And shameless plug, all three courses are being offered over the, started in the next couple of weeks. And so you can join any of those. I will be leading our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course starting Tuesday nights at 7.30. I would love to have you join that. I know for a lot of us, it's been really transformational, myself included. If you haven't jumped anywhere into one of these discipleship tracks, we would love to have you join us. So you can see the link that will be dropped in the chat here in a moment. And get connected, whether it's a home group, one of these courses, any way that we can just have you, invite you to this discipleship pathway, becoming more like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. We would love to have you join for that. So on Sundays, though, for these next eight weeks, we will be having kind of a mini version of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality during our messages. So we'll be walking through what this core aspect of discipleship, of being like Jesus, what it means in our emotional health, how our personal integrity, how the alignment of our heads, hearts, bodies, souls, how it can all be aligned with the whole of who we are. And so today we actually start with what it looks like to be emotionally unhealthy, to have an emotionally unhealthy spirituality, because truly we can only be as deeply formed as as spiritually mature as we are emotionally mature, believe it or not. And when we have a faith walk that is actually disconnected and compartmentalized from the rest of our life, that would be an unhealthy part of our spirituality. So in essence, the unhealth, unhealthy spirituality, emotionally unhealthy spirituality could be being religious but not being deeply transformed down to the depths of who we are in our inner being. Maybe it would be having the right things to say, knowing the right answers, doing the right things, but not necessarily having a right spirit in the sense that we are whole and aligned and that all aspects of our being kind of match up, but rather that there's a mismatch, there's something incongruent. And this is a crucial part of becoming like Jesus, is becoming more truly authentic to who we are from the inside out. 
So I do hope you're ready to embark on this journey over the next eight weeks of emotionally healthy spirituality. And um, really, this is a whole lifelong process. This transformation from all of the aspects of who we are will carry us through the rest of our lives. But I hope that you're ready to join. You can open up to Psalm 51 as I pray. Lord, we do desire transformation to the depths of who we are. And we ask you today to create in us a clean heart, a pure heart, an aligned heart, that we would experience your mercy and know your presence, that we would be people who are deeply aligned and transformed in all of who we are and more like you. In your name we pray, amen. So there was a man, an incredibly gifted man, who from a very young age, it was clear that God's hand was especially on him. Maybe you've known people like this. Friends and family affirmed that he was uniquely called, anointed, equipped for leadership. And he was multi-talented, artistic, musical, a poet and a songwriter, athletic, mature beyond his years. He had the respect of his peers and elders alike. And he showed such great leadership potential, but was, was also surprisingly humble and gentle and generous and servant-hearted. And he just had one win after another and just was crushing it at everything he put his hands to. And he became the poster child for a prodigy-turned-high-productivity-high-capacity kind of leader. And his influence and performance continued to grow until he was placed in the highest level of leadership among the people that he was leading and continued to just crush it. And he was set to stay here at the top, just killing it, and was victory after victory, just looking like everything, he had everything together. Everything looked incredible from the outside in, and anyone would have thought that his life was just all together at the height of his impact until it all came crashing down. And the success and the fame and the gifting that seemed to be on him, that was so visible from everybody else hid Actually, a deep brokenness, a wound, a sin on the inside, deep in his soul, which mercifully was exposed and came to the surface when it all fell apart. And this is where we find David. David, the great king of Israel, who here in Psalm 51, we see him at the lowest of lows, just incredibly broken. As we read earlier from Psalm 51, this great leader crying out, recognizing his absolute brokenness. He's here asking for mercy, begging for forgiveness, and coming clean with his sin, begging to be made right. And we meet him here in Psalm 51 in this utter mess with a huge gap between what was seen on the outside and what must have been going on on the inside. He had an incongruent spirit, mismatched, between what was visible on the surface and what, like an iceberg, was much deeper. And we find the story, this, the chain of events that brought him to this breakdown and the eventual desperate prayer in Psalm 51, 
we find the story of what had led up to this in 2 Samuel 11. So you can turn there if you'd like, but you probably already know the story. So we see here in chapter 11 the chain of events that is what happened to get him to this place of the desperate prayer in Psalm 51. But before that, the previous four chapters, you just see victory after victory, that David is at the top of his game, win after win, and just producing, performing, pleasing. So what led him to chapter 11? The Bible doesn't mince any words, as we know, which is probably why we can assume this is true. And in chapter 11, we see that this great King David not only committed adultery, but actually forcibly took this woman Bathsheba, another man's wife, and basically raped her. There's no indication that she consented and got her pregnant. And then, in his pride and shame and fear, he proceeded to cover it up with lies and with secrets. And that eventually led to the murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah. So this is not a pretty story. It's very sobering. And it's so deeply human, right? It's the storyline of every soap opera we've ever seen. Because honestly, this, this kind of story, this is just the symptom. What we see in chapter 11 is just the tip of the iceberg of what has been going on potentially for a long time. This, this act, the affair, the murder, only exposed what was already there. This was just the evidence for David's life specifically the way his particular junk came to the surface, revealing what was deeper. But mercifully, it didn't stay hidden. His soul had a chance to come to the light so that his spirit could be made right, could be aligned, could be connected with the whole of who he was. And who else of you can agree that you cannot heal what you don't reveal? I know for myself, marriage has been a huge mirror to me that I never realized. And I told a friend the other day, don't get married until you're ready that all your stuff, all your struggles and weaknesses and failures and selfishness, that it's, it comes to the surface and you can't hide. And it's actually such a gift. And so maybe you're asking, like I have in here, how is it that someone like David, how did this happen? How did he crash and burn? so hard. How did it get to that point? Well, number one, because he's a human, like you and like me. And maybe that also makes you wonder, could that happen to me? I would say maybe, but maybe it would be the best thing for you. So just hang with me if that freaks you out. But also we can reasonably assume that David's leadership and influence, his public-facing maturity has risen at a rate that his emotional maturity has not kept up with. And so he ended up with this gap, this mismatch. And this gap is not sustainable for long. Maybe that's happened to you before where the gap is no longer sustainable, where there's something that your insides and outsides don't match up and it comes to the surface. And it's happened to me before. It's happened a number of times, thankfully, not the murder affair bit, but where I could no longer sustain the fact that what people saw from the outside didn't really match, and I felt incongruent. 
one time in particular stands out where I was growing in my own leadership and influence. I was at a university in California in my early 30s, and I was at the top of my game, and I was running a mission program, pouring into hundreds of students, and kind of the golden girl of the university staff. And I was so exhausted and angry and burnt out and was beginning to have panic attacks, and I had kind of just a, a breakdown, a burnout. And it turned out to be the best thing possible for me. You might hear more of that in the coming weeks over the EHS series. But I knew that this shiny, spunky Sarah was just hiding a scared, sad Sarah underneath, and that I needed to be in the light, and that I was unhealthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, and I needed to bring it all out into the open. And so this breakdown led to a breakthrough. And maybe, like David, like me, you too might find yourself, or you might one day, in an emotionally unhealthy place where you feel that misalignment. You know you're out of sorts. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is what we go through, he gives ten symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. I'm just going to read four of them right now. One is ignoring your anger, sadness, or fear. Two, denying the impact of the past on the present, that our background, our wounds, the things that have happened to us, do affect us today. Third is dividing life into secular and sacred categories, that it's all kind of compartmentalized and separate. And covering over our brokenness, our weakness, and our failure, those secrets and the lies, which leads to shame. And there's a whole test you can take to see um, just where you're at in emotional health and spirituality. But again, Pete says, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And usually it's hard to see this mismatch until there's a pain point, until there's something that causes it to prick. And when we realize that there are areas of our lives that seem to be untouched by the transforming power and grace and love of Christ. And so what do we do when we see that? When we get to that point, where do we start? How do we, what do we do in this case? And we start where David started, back in Psalm 51, with this incredible prayer. We can borrow the same prayer of David and begin to align our hearts anew. So in these last moments here today, I want to just give us a few ways that this David prayer in Psalm 51 is also the prayer that we can pray. He prayed for help and for health, and that is where we begin as well, asking for help and health from the only one who can really give it. This prayer really reveals our hearts so that we can heal. So first, David asks for mercy. Here in verse 1, he says, Be merciful to me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He knows he has made an absolute mess, but there is nothing like a mess, a mess up, a mistake, to show us our need for mercy. So by very definition, mercy can't truly be experienced or understood unless there is something to be merciful about, unless there is something to be forgiven. We don't actually know God's mercy until we present to him the mess. And then he delights, he's even drawn 
to be merciful to us. He delights to be merciful. I would even say your mess is a magnet for God's mercy. It's like this drawing that he longs to be gracious to us. Your mistakes and your failures are actually what serve to draw God's kindness closer to you. So how many of us maybe are even holding back God's mercy because we don't admit our mess? But it's actually our messes and mess-ups that provide this landing pad, this opening for God's mercy to really fall. So second, after David asks for mercy, he admits his brokenness. In verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions, my iniquity is ever before me. Transgression, sin, iniquity, all of that is just another way of saying brokenness. I am broken. None of us is any more or less broken than the other. Some are just more aware of it. David knows here. He says, I know my transgressions. I am aware of my wounds and weaknesses, the rough places, the areas where I struggle, where I'm tempted. And he is just here admitting that he's simply human, imperfect and real versus superhuman and ideal. And I know that I have spent too much time in my life trying to be the ideal, to be perfect, to look good, to be good, to do good. That was my trifecta of a mantra for a time. Look good, be good, do but good, do good. But it sadly is not possible. And all that perfecting, producing, performing, all of that just masks and hides that there is a real human and it kind of just ended up leading me curled up in a ball on the kitchen floor, crying out, much like David here, which then lands you tender and raw and able to cry out to God, finally admitting that you're just a real person after all. A breakdown like this is a good time for a breakthrough, and you're in a good place then for the third part of this prayer, asking for mercy, admitting brokenness. And then third here, David agrees with God. In verse 6, he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. When Nathan, you might remember the story, when Nathan the prophet comes to David and basically says, I know what you did. It's the best thing that could have happened to David, but it certainly felt like the worst. He could finally stop hiding, though, and pretending and faking it. He was trying so hard, he was masking, faking, telling lies, covering up his secrets. And shame loves the darkness. Shame feeds on secrets. Shame grows when the inward doesn't match the outward reality. So this, then, was his chance for freedom from shame, to stop running, and instead to agree with God and say, here's me, this is who I am. And you still love me. I am still completely and utterly loved. And this is what we might call confession or repentance. But really, it's agreeing with God, just being honest, simple truth. To say, this is the truth of who I am. It's self-awareness, yes, to a point. But it's agreeing with what you and God already know to be true so that we can be aligned and right, matching up our insides and our outsides. So is there today maybe a mismatch that you feel? Maybe it's coming to light because of a pain point. And you can just acknowledge and agree with God and state the reality. 
And then fourth, we get to the last one. David here seeks to align his heart with God, with God's, in verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And this isn't a prayer of guilt or shame or humiliation that you have to say with a downcast face. This is actually a prayer of freedom and release and healing and alignment. Again, asking God for a clean heart, a pure heart, a right spirit isn't asking for perfection and some lofty holiness or righteousness, but actually to not live a disconnected or incongruent life. And I think this kind of prayer must be one of God's favorite prayers, that he loves to hear us say, Yes, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Align me again, and he loves to answer that request. So a right spirit, one that is whole and is connected to all aspects of our being, that his public life, David's praying that his public life would match his private life, that his going to work would match his going to church, that his words would match his actions, his beliefs match his behaviors, that he would be known truly from the inside out. And maybe that's what some of our prayers are today, too, that we notice that there are some disconnects, that we aren't living an aligned kind of life, maybe an emotionally unhealthy life. Maybe some of those symptoms have struck us today. And so that is our prayer, that as we embark on this EHS journey and just the journey of a lifetime of discipleship, becoming more like Jesus in our emotional, spiritual health, Uh, That would be how we would anticipate the coming weeks, uh, that we would be brought to light, that we would be able to ask God for mercy, admit our brokenness, that we would align our hearts and agree with God. One final thought. As scripture tells us, David was called a man after God's own heart. Even with everything that he did, he was still called a man after God's own heart. So what if being after God's heart, being like God, aligned with God's heart, what if that simply means being honest about our weaknesses, about our wounds, bringing into light our sins, our failures, our flaws? What if it just means being authentic in agreeing with God in confessing and repenting? What if that is what it truly means to be men and women after God's own heart? Then... I do believe that we could be those men and women that are called people after God's own heart. So may it be so.